Hey weirdos, it's Deidre, and thanks for joining me for another explicit episode of Weird Animal Facts! Explicit! And this episode is very, very explicit. If you don't like sex talk or description of genitalia, this might not be your favorite episode, but it's one of mine. And despite my sailor mouth and love for the vulgar, if you choose to stick around the entirety of this episode, you will learn something. For those of you who have been my die-hard fans and have listened to every episode, thank you. You know that I work at a zoo, but don't worry, I don't tell kids this shit. I keep it very PC. I mean, very. Zoos aren't really about uh, stirring the pot or upsetting anyone. They're all about love. Love the environment, love animals, and save the planet. And I'm all about that too. And yet, they do pay me to say uh, animals rock, but no one is paying me now, so I can be as vulgar as I want while saying that animals rock in a vulgar way. Plus, there are plenty of kid-friendly educational platforms out there for you and your family to safely learn about wildlife. But for us sturdy adults, we don't always want the G-rated version, as the animal world is really fucking weird once you take a closer look at it. And trust me, I have looked under every flap and fold, into every dark crevice of the animals in today's show, and it's good. The North American porcupine and titicaca frog. So buckle up for a trip around Scrotum City and into Vagina Valley as we get weird. The North American porcupine. Name something that follows the word pork. You pie. Huh? Neither a pig nor a pine. All porcupines are rodents. That's right, like a rat. There are 29 species of porcupines, and today we are talking about the North American porcupine because it's my favorite. And, believe it or not, it actually has some similarities to the New World Tarantula and your dirty ex-boyfriend from high school. First, we've got to talk about that hair. And to clean up the mess of misconceptions that the media has been pushing against the innocent porcupine for centuries. The word porcupine comes from the Latin word meaning quill pig. And just like Peter Quill is the prickly quill to his team of guardians, the porcupine is covered in quills. But what are quills? They're modified hair. It's hair, people, and no! Porcupines cannot shoot them at you like Hawkeye can an arrow through your heart. It's hair. And if you don't believe me, go on, try it. Go on, then. Try to shoot the hair off of your head. Go on, I'll wait. Ha, sucker, you can't do it, because it's hair. The closest you got to shooting the hair off the top of your head was watching a single strand of your unbrushed hair fall as you shook like a goofy dog. That's called shedding. And porcupines, just like me, you, your dog, and your cat, all shed their hair from time to time. But let's be honest, the hair of the porcupine, it is different. And their hair also varies between species. Just like the New World Tarantulas. You remember that episode? Yeah? We talked about it earlier. If you don't remember the episode, you should go back and listen to it. Or if you haven't listened, go listen to it. Maybe not right now. Well, if you go right now, just come back to this episode, because this one's cool, too. We got some more penises coming up. And since we're talking about the North American porcupine today, we will focus on the hair of the North American porcupine, as well as further similarities it has to the urticating seda of the New World tarantula, where the Chilean rose-haired tarantula will kick their barbed seda from the rear. The porcupine's legs aren't quite long enough for that, nor are they that athletic or flexible enough for that kind of shit. Instead, they will back that dump truck rump right up into the curious predator behind them. 
And if you're worried about the quills hurting as they go into the skin, I wouldn't worry too much about the quills because they actually go in twice as smooth as a hypodermic needle. All you heroin addicts can probably understand. Now, what are you going to say if someone asks you to try drugs? Hey, we're friends, but we won't be if you keep messing with drugs. Only it'd be about 20 to 200 needles going in at once. And as smoothly as they go in, it's not as smooth when it comes time to pull them out. And you should remove them because of the 800 microscopic barbs resting on the tip of each quill. Just the tip. If you get a splinter, your body would eventually be able to remove it, but that's not true for quills. And if left in, it would result in the opposite effect. Why? Because as your body naturally processes cells, it creates movement in the skin as it replaces the old skin with new. Kind of like how when we all go to improve our lives, we throw out all the small bits of trash from our past. But with the barb quills, since they are backward-facing barbs, they cling onto the skin wall like a stalking ex-boyfriend. It inevitably pulls the quills deeper into the body, just like the ex would if you allowed it back into your heart. It would slowly destroy it. Like, literally. Like, it literally would destroy it. Those quills can migrate so deep, it can puncture vital organs. So the quills are just like that bad relationship and can be four times harder to remove because of the barbs or because of the creepy psychotic mind of that uh, possible murderer you used to date. So just like porcupine's quills, it's best to avoid them at all cost. And if you can't, get rid of them immediately before it's too late. Now it's time for the segment you've all been waiting for. Porcupine porn. Hola, I found some vaginal mucus on the floor outside. Are you the vagina it once belonged to? That depends, Mr. Pine. If you followed my trail of urine. What do you think I'm here? It sounds like your accent has changed. I'll be whatever you want me to be, baby. May I climb up this tree? Do whatever you want, porky boy. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, you're stimulating my estrus. Where do you think you are going? I will follow you. But not rape. Consent is much sexier. Not that I could rape you if I tried. No worries, Mr. Pine. I consent. Here's my ass. Allow me to lift up my tail and flatten my danger hair for you. Permission to come? Come aboard, Mr. Pine. Come. Then they'll fuck a couple more times the male will go find other females to pee on. Then, seven months after copulation, a cute little porky pet is born. That's right. The female North American porcupine only fucks once a year because they are only open for business for a block of 8 to 12 hours annually. The rest of the time, they are either pregnant or lactating. 
and this is their yearly cycle for over 20 years. <sighs> Isn't life great? As you can tell, urine plays a major role in the mating style of the porcupine. From the female leaving a trail of urine, pheromones, and vaginal discharge, to the male sprinkling the female with a golden shower. And I do think sprinkle is the correct adjective to use, as sprinklers can be both the calm and slow flow of water delicately watering your garden, to the aggressive shots of fertilization being shot over top of field. The males do both, and they'll do it while fully erect. If a naked guy walking at you peeing out of his erect penis doesn't turn you on, I don't know what will. Maybe if his penis had barbs on it? Soft barbs, not like the prickly ones he's got on his quills. Also, scientists don't know why the porcupine's penis is barbed, but they do know how to give Latin names to American animals. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for... Scientific names are hard. If you're new to the show, Scientific Names Are Hard is a segment where I attempt to read a scientific name and do a fantastic job at it, if you ask me. So, I have my roommate write on a piece of paper the scientific name, and I don't read the scientific name until this moment. Here's a sheet of paper. Erethizon, Erethizon. Dorsatum. Erethizon dorsatin. Erethizon dorsatin. Satum. There's an M at the end of that. And that was not. That was probably like scientific names are okay if you sound them out. Okay. It's the transition song From going to one topic to the next It's the transition song So that we have no awkward silence The Titty Caca Frog Or, as it's more eloquently known The Scrotum Frog Like seriously, that's one of its common names why would anyone want to bestow such an unfortunate name to such a creature? Well, for all the men out there who have closely investigated their genitals, and for all of us heterosexual women and homosexual men who have found ourselves throat deep with a ball sack in our face, we'll know why the Titicaca frog, or scrotum frog, was named as such. But first, I should point out that it was a man who named this frog, because only a man is disgustingly confident and arrogant enough to name a living creature after its ball sack. Even back in 1876. You lesbians really sidestepped a major curveball on this one. Balls are gross. As can be the scrotum frog at times. Alright, let's cut to the chase. The scrotum frog got its name from the fold of skin that covered this amphibian. Similar to how the scrotum itself has folds of skin. So, ladies and gentlemen, next time you go down on a man and you see his wrinkly, disgusting ball sack, you can smile with the thought that some oddball biologist named a frog after it. If you're like me, this then points to the important question. Do those folds of skin on the Titicaca frog serve the same purpose as the folds on the human male scrotum? Let's take a closer look at some balls. Oh, I just love balls, don't you? Balls, beanbag, mudflap, nutsack, Bob bag, scrote, tea bag, or testicles are only a few of many names for the male scrotum. 
But what is the scrotum? The scrotal sac is a pouch of skin containing the testicles. What are testicles? It's what produces sperm, aka the stuff for making life, or as some men claim, the stuff needed to ejaculate in order to be saved from the deadly hard-on they have. I'm a damsel. I'm in distress. You don't fool us, boys. You'll survive. Just go rub one out. I can handle this. Have a nice day. So now since we know the function of the human scrotum, why are there folds? You know how when it's cold and men claim their balls jump back up inside their body? Well, that's actually true. They're not making shit up. Or they're not making that specific shit up. I'm not calling you a liar. The folds on the outside of the scrotum are pretty much just excess skin that tightens or loosens depending on the temperature. It's basically the body's way of keeping his little swimmers alive. Human sperm can be damaged at extreme temperatures, so when it's cold outside, the body sucks those bad boys up to bring the sperm and scrotum as close to the body for warmth. It's so cozy. So in a way, the folds give the male's cold scrotum a hug and then pulls them into a nice warm embrace. I love you, man. Now time for the big question. Does this male scroto phenomena have anything to do with why our animal of today's discussion is covered in folds? No. But isn't it fun to talk about balls sometimes? Ball, ba ball, 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 balls. Bringing back the topic of the Titicaca frog, that's how I will be referring to this frog from here on out, the folds on its body serve as a completely different purpose from that of the human ball sack. It actually helps to absorb more oxygen into the body. <sighs> and to understand why this is important for the Titicaca frog, we need to look at where the Titicaca frog is from. Aside from being named after the dark side of a man, the more common name comes from the lake this frog can be found in and around. Lake Titicaca. The Titicaca frog can only be found in this small region of South America. Lake Titicaca, which is as fun to say as scrotum, does a spread eagle along the borders of Peru and Bolivia in the Andes Mountains. And this lake is a very important area in Indian culture. This freshwater lake is the largest lake in South America. It is also unique as it is as high as Willie Nelson on his birthday. Lake Titicaca lives at 12,500 feet in elevation, or 3,810 meters. And as silly as us Americans are for not switching over to the metric system, in this case, using feet really makes the elevation sound a lot higher than it is. So we're using that one, just to sound more impressive. For comparison, Mount Whitney in California reaches 14,000 feet, Mount Kilimanjaro of Tanzania sits at 19,000 feet, and Benevis of Scotland is only a measly 4,413 feet. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy. For those of us who have lived adventurous lives and have actually hiked up an actual mountain, sorry, Scotland, would have experienced some form of altitude sickness. Tell me how I'm supposed to breathe with no air. The reason for this is because as you go higher into the atmosphere, the air gets thinner, making it harder to breathe. Those of you smart kids in the back have probably put two and two together to realize why the folds of the Titicaca frog are important. They bring in more oxygen. There's less oxygen at higher altitudes, so I would assume that more oxygen would be nice. I would kindly like to breathe. Since there's less oxygen at higher altitudes, I would assume that more oxygen 
would be nice. Yes, please. And I think the Titicaca frog would agree. I have no objections. As for my devoted seven fans out there, if you remember from the fire salamander episode, we explained how amphibians such as salamanders, newts, frogs, and toads breathe. Through their skin. The young will also use their gills. Then, as adults, they will use their lungs as well as their skin. Being an amphibian, all this is also true for the Titicaca frog. But they have some weird modifications that make them their own kind of special. First, they are the largest totally aquatic frog. And fully aquatic frogs are their own kind of weird, as there aren't that many of them. As we learned from Disney's Princess and the Frog, most frogs can easily go from water to land and do quite nicely as long as there is water nearby and have random song breaks. The majority of frogs are like Princess Tiana in frog form and are biquatic terrestrials. By Bi- aquatic, both aquatic and terrestrial? Biquatic terrestrial, that a thing? I don't know. And some can even be arboreal. Not ball sack frog over here. They like the water and they live in the water, even after metamorphosis. They hardly come to the surface. And to adapt to this strictly water living frog, they actually have smaller lungs. Their lungs are actually about one-third the size of a frog their size should have. By the way, a frog their size can get up to 20 inches long and weigh up to 2 pounds. Fun fact, this fact was documented by Jacques Cousteau. So given all this information, the Titicaca frog can breathe through its lungs. But because they live primarily in water, it wouldn't do much good to be breathing in the water. Because, uh... Breathing in water is a no-no as filling up lungs with water has proven time and time again to lead to drowning. So those folds are the key. They are rich with red blood cell count and blood vessels and all this it helps to absorb what oxygen there is in the water. That's how they breathe. Just keep breathing, breathing, and breathing, and breathing. Now it's time to go back to another thing we learned from Disney's Princess and the Frog. Frogs are covered in mucus. When we think of mucus, we think of that slimy stuff that shoots out of your nose during a high-intensity sneeze. (coughs) And yes, that nasty little soggy snot rocket is mucus, and serves the same purpose in us as it does in frogs, keeping us from drying out. Can you bring me my chapstick? No, Napoleon. But my lips hurt real bad. For humans, our mucus can have a different function, such as in the nose where it works like a glue trap for dust, smoke, and bacteria. For frogs, such as our titicaca friend, the mucus helps keep their oxygen flow and maintain water intake as they don't drink water. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, frogs not only breathe through their skin, they can also perform osmosis. This sensational absorption and diffusion of water and salt through the amphibian skin is called osmoregulation. Osmos, osmos, osmoregulation. Regulate the osmos, osmos. Osmos, osmos regulation. What, what? What, what? I just made that song up. What, what? What, what? That wasn't in the script. We're going off script, people. <laughs> osmosis regulation, osmosis regulation. Ribbit, ribbit. All right, enough of that, because I don't know where I'm going. But wait, there's more. We can't forget about the gas. They do the same thing with gases like CO2. This is called canudius, canudius. Canadus respiration. 
Wow, I'm not doing as good at this word. <laughs> I practice this word, I swear. Ugh, I'll just have my phone say it. Cutaneous. Cutaneous. That's what I'm pretty sure I said. This is called cutaneous reps. Now I can't say respiration. Uh, words are so hard. This is called cutaneous. I'm done. I'm done. Uh, let me take pause. Pause. We are currently having technical difficulties with our voice operator person. We'll be right back to a regularly scheduled program right after we fix our technical difficulties. We are currently having technical difficulties. Please stay on the line. I will be with you in a moment. What the fuck am I doing? Speaking of gases and mucus, let's get gross. You know how when you get stressed and you sweat and how when opossums get stressed, they fart? <coughs> Although there isn't much research on the subject, I suspect that the titicaca frog does the same, well, or similar. Biologists have found that when stressed, i.e. being picked up out of the safety of the water by a research scientist, the titicaca frog will secrete a milky, sticky liquid. And biologists also suspect that it tastes bad. And good on them for not tasting that mysterious milky goo. I'm pretty sure licking a frog is how people discovered that the dart frog was poisonous. And seeing that Lake Titicaca is quite a hike from civilization, if that milky secretion is toxic, it would be a pretty difficult and expensive helicopter ride to get that idiot back into safety. All I'm saying is, don't lick wildlife! The snozberries taste like snozberries. Speaking of tasting wildlife, have you ever tried frog juice? Because you shouldn't! Imagine taking that scrotum frog and tossing it into a blender with some root and honey and then drinking it. Luck! Anything with the name scrotum can't have a good flavor associated with it, no matter how much honey you add. I know what a dick tastes like, so no thank you. Scrotum's probably not that much better, even if it is a frog. Alright, with this thought, then why are people buying this and drinking it? Well, they do it for the same reason people murder the pangolin, tigers, Chinese alligator, and sun bears, and that's only to name a few. They think that consuming these near-extinct animals is going to cure them of their ailments. But here's the kicker. There is no scientific evidence to support that drinking scrotum frog juice will relieve stress, that roasting the scales of the pangolin will rid you of the devil, or that consuming the penis of a tiger will give you a massive erection. Because of idiots who believe these stupid tales from the past over actual scientific fact is why these and many other animals are near extinction. Helping to reassure my point that humans are dicks. Not you, my valid and sacred listener, but humankind as, as a collective. And if you ask me, it is high time for us human to get our shit together and save wildlife. And while we're at it, why not the planet too? And it's easy to do. Just don't be a stupid dick! Speaking of stupid, it's now time for the part of the show where I turn into Joey Tribbiani when Phoebe tries to teach him French. Scientific names are hard. Now we will read. Now I will read. You guys have nothing to do with it. You just get to sit there. I will read the scientific name for the Titicaca frog or, as I have so eloquently explained to you, the scrotum frog. Telematobius colius. Telematobius calopius. 
Nope, I just threw a letter in there for no reason. Thought, you know, my brain was just feeling a rhyme. Okay, focusing, doing correct. Tell Matobius Coleus. You know what? I think this week's scientific names are hard segment. We're not that hard. I think those ones I did pretty good. Probably because there are no like random consonants there, like an X or a Y, or I could actually read Emily's spelling. So thank you, Emily, for spelling uh, in a way that I could read. Yay! Thank you all so much for listening, sharing, and for all your great reviews. Please continue to do all that. Share this show with everyone, your friends, family, acquaintances. Share it with a stranger on the street. If you're in a conversation and someone says something weird, you say, hey, you like weird shit? I like weird shit. Check out this weird podcast. It's called Weird Animal Facts. Yeah. If you see someone walking a dog, assume they like animals and then also assume that they'd like this show and tell them about it. Just don't be a creep or dirty about it, okay? Just be normal. (laughs) We're weird here, but not dirty. New episodes every Monday. Follow us on Instagram and stay weird. But don't let anyone take your weirdness away. Stay strong and stay weird.